Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On the 4th of December, 1926, a 36-year-old woman tucked her daughter into bed grabbed an attaché case containing her personal documents, some clothing and some cash, and got into her car, driving off into the night. The next day, the Morris Cowley car belonging to the woman was seen perilously hanging over the edge of a cliff, but its driver was nowhere to be found. Furthermore, the documents and clothing had been left behind, and the lights on the car were left on. The next few days saw an almighty search for the woman, in which over 500 police were called in to look for her, but a body was never discovered. The mystery was made all the more intriguing in that this wasn't just a search for any regular person, but for a well-renowned author, one who wasn't a stranger to mysteries. So grab your magnifying glass and your luxurious moustache, and join me as I delve into another macabre mini-mystery, and go on the hunt for Agatha Christie. and welcome back to another macabre mini mystery. Now before we get into today's episode, if you're new here, hi my name's Nikki and if you love weird, spooky and strange history then I'd love it if you joined our ghoul gang by hitting the subscribe button on YouTube or on your podcast provider so you can be added to my creepy collection of like-minded individuals and never miss out on an episode. Now, just a little warning before we get into today's episode, there will be discussion of mental health issues in this story, so if you're not in the right headspace to hear that right now, then I'll see you in the next one. But if you're okay with that, then off we go. Born in 1890 in Torquay, Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller was an incredibly curious child. The last of three children, she was often referred to by her parents as the afterthought. 
Despite this rather disparaging nickname, Agatha was afforded the same, if not more, attention than her older siblings, who left home in her early years. And in the middle-class household, she was kept on a fairly tight rein, but her creativity could not be contained. By the age of five, Agatha began her homeschooling with her American father, Frederick Miller, a stockbroker, and her mother, Clarissa, had strong thoughts that her daughter shouldn't learn to read until she was a little older, at eight years old. However, intrigued by her mother's storytelling skills, the young Agatha took matters into her own hands and taught herself to read in secret. It wasn't long until she was devouring books of a fantastical nature and becoming immersed in mystical worlds, such as the railway children and little women, and reading books which were way beyond the comprehension of most children her age. Excelling in most aspects of her schooling, a massive blow came when Agatha's father passed away from heart failure, and she was left alone with her mother. With the two of them heartbroken at Frederick's sudden death, they grew inseparable and sought solace in each other at such a grief-stricken time. The next few years were rocky, and the family struggled for money. They almost had to sell Agatha's childhood home. But all was not lost, and between them, they rallied together and managed to keep hold of the property. All throughout this turbulent time, Agatha kept the cogs of her creativity machine well-oiled, and learned to play the piano and took singing lessons. By the age of 15, she was a gifted pianist, was set for a life of performing, but due to crippling stage fright, perhaps resulting from a sheltered childhood, she hated taking to the stage, which somewhat put a dampener on her musical career. Fast forward a few years, and with the family getting themselves back on their feet, Agatha and her mother took a trip to Egypt. Her mother went to focus on her health, and Agatha ingratiated herself with the fellow expat Brits going to parties and building up some of that social confidence which she lacked. She caught the eye of several eligible bachelors, and once back in England, she was courted by several men and proposed to a number of times, but it wasn't until two years later that she met her future husband. Archibald Christie, a pilot in the military, caught Agatha's eye and both were infatuated, but soon they would be kept apart by World War I. Agatha served as a nurse in a Red Cross hospital, where her interest in medicine began to develop, and Archie was sent to France. During a brief leave period over Christmas, Archie dashed back to Torquay, where he and Agatha tied the knot on Christmas Eve 1914, spending just a few days together, before Archie was back at work in France. Even though the pair were married in 1914, they didn't actually get to spend any serious time together until 1918, when Archie was stationed in London and the two could actually begin their marriage for realsies. During the war, Agatha had been keeping herself busy by writing short stories spurred on by her older sister Margaret, who was a keen writer. In fact, Madge was seen as the more skilled writer than Agatha, but after the siblings set a friendly bet of who could write a mystery story, Agatha produced The Mysterious Affair at Styles, a meticulously plotted story, but one which went unread for quite a while. In 1919, after the war had ended, the couple had enough money to buy a flat of their own, and by August, their daughter Rosalind was born, but Agatha didn't resign herself to a housewife life. She did her best to get her book published. After several knockbacks and some scathing criticism, 
the manuscript landed on the desk of John Lane, and after a few tweaks, the book was ready to publish. John was so confident in Agatha, he commissioned five titles from her and provided her with the big break of her prolific writing journey. With this small success, it meant that Agatha could employ others to look after her home and Rosalind, and she had a good staff team which afforded her the time to write and also travel with Archie so she could seek inspiration for her novels. It was during this time on a trip to Africa that Agatha was the first British woman to surf upright. She'd taken to the sport and said she felt it was such a joyous thing to do. She previously had also been partial to roller skating on the pier in her hometown of Torquay. Agatha's second and third novels received exceptional reviews, but by this point she'd decided she'd outgrown John Lane and his publishing house and obtained a literary agent and signed a new deal with what would later become HarperCollins and this would only help to distribute her work to more people. At this time, Archie, Agatha and Rosalind moved into a grander home in Sunningdale in Berkshire, just outside of London. Agatha named the house Styles after her first book, and ultimately the way they'd earned the money to buy the grandiose property. The home was a perfect place for Agatha to write, and also to indulge her love of renovation. She was very keen on making her homes as delightful as possible, and spent a good deal of time smartening them up, making them perfect for her family. Rosalind was doing well, and Archie was also succeeding at work, but it wasn't long before things started to turn sour. Archie had been carrying out some extracurricular activities at work, and was having an affair with his secretary, Nancy Neal. And when the Queen of Mystery herself thought something may have been going on, it didn't take long for her to get to the bottom of it. During this time, Agatha had been looking after her mother, who was slowly beginning to deteriorate, eventually passing away in April of 1926. Her mother's death threw her into a great depression, and during this time, her mental health deteriorated to a point where she was seeking help from doctors to help get her better. She also made a few trips away to rest and recuperate, but the sadness of her grief still remained. To make matters worse, Archie was now spending more time with his mistress, and by August that year, he asked Agatha for a divorce. The whole set of circumstances was just a little too much for poor Agatha, and she thought a few times about ending it all, but stuck around for her daughter. Archie and Agatha remained living together for the next few months, and she tried desperately to keep him, even though she knew she'd already lost him to Nancy. The final straw was when Archie told Agatha he was going away for the weekend, and it was fairly obvious where he was headed to. Nancy's. Once Archie had left the house, Agatha retreated to her room and began packing some items. She also wrote some letters, which she left behind for her secretary, Caro Fisher. Caro had become a good friend to Agatha, as well as her secretary and Rosalind's homeschooling teacher, but on the night Archie dropped the bombshell he was off to Nancy's, Caro wasn't at home. She had taken leave and was elsewhere. Without a friendly ear to talk to, Agatha spiralled. It wasn't long before she decided she would go out for a drive to anywhere but there. Agatha said she was haunted in the family home. She felt that place was sinister, and with the descent into paranoia, anxiety and grief at not only losing her mother 
but now also Archie, she had no clue of what to do next. She went upstairs to where Rosalind was sleeping, kissed her on the forehead and drove off into the night. Agatha would later claim that she had no destination in mind that evening, but that she just had to get away. The exhausted author drove aimlessly for quite a while before discovering a quarry. She later said she didn't entirely remember what happened, but that she had a compulsion to drive off the edge. The next day, Agatha's abandoned car, which was perilously hanging over the cliff edge, only stopped from thundering into the quarry by the branches of some bushes, was found by a gentleman on his way to work, and the police were called to the scene. It didn't take long to identify the owner, as inside the car, documents were strewn around, which pinned Mrs Christie as the driver. There was no sign of a body, but a telltale sign was that the steering wheel was bent, suggesting whoever had been driving had hit it with some force. The alarming discovery of the abandoned vehicle was picked up instantly by the papers, and when the driver was identified as Agatha Christie, the mystery of what may have happened to her began to spread, and it wasn't long before the public were out in force searching for her. Over the next few days, the search grew. Ponds and lakes were skimmed and dredged, bloodhounds were requested by the police to help search for a body, a plane was flown around looking for Agatha, and over 15,000 people in total went out to see if they could find even just the smallest of clues. After three days, the police called off the search, after the three letters Agatha had written before she disappeared were revealed to the police. Caro, Agatha's secretary, handed over her letter in which Agatha wrote that she wanted to get away, and two subsequent letters, one to her brother-in-law and also one to Archie himself, were destroyed as they were said to be too personal. I can only imagine how scalding and scathing they were of Archie's behaviour and the affair which he was trying to keep secret. The brother-in-law did reveal that in his letter, Agatha had said she was off to a spa in Yorkshire, and as such, the police thought the case was closed, but under mounting pressure from the Home Secretary, the search was put back on. Fellow famous authors were also brought into the case to see if they could use their detective brains to track down Agatha. Dorothy L. Sayers, the author of the Lord Peter Whimsey series, a fellow fictional detective to Christie's Poirot, and who happened to be a friend of Agatha's, was brought in to see if she could glean any information from the site of Agatha's disappearance, but she found nothing to go off. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
She did later use the imagery of Agatha's disappearance in a novel of hers, The Unnatural Death. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of Sherlock Holmes, and all-round eccentric who was big into the occult, was given one of Agatha's gloves, bestowing it to a psychic medium who tried to track Mrs Christie down, but to no avail. It wasn't looking good for finding Agatha, and people were starting to settle that she had ended her life, and that her body may never be found. However, all was not lost. At the Swan Hydropathic Hotel, a waiter had noticed the headlines on the papers over the past week and a bit, and he'd realised that a guest who had been dining nightly in the hotel restaurant had a striking resemblance to that of Mrs Christie. A guest going by the name of Miss Theresa Neal from Cape Town in South Africa had checked into the hotel not long after Agatha's car was found abandoned. This guest had mainly remained in her room, popping out for occasional spa treatments and for dinner. She would also be seen reading the papers of the day. When the waiter looked at the paper she was holding, which had a picture of Agatha's face emblazoned on its front cover, and then looked at the woman reading it, he could see quite the resemblance. He notified the police, who then contacted Archie, and he was sent to the hotel to retrieve her. Archie waited in the dining room, and when his wife walked in and blanked him, he knew one of two things, either she was ignoring him on purpose, or she had no idea who he was. Archie spoke to Agatha, but she didn't recognise him, convinced that she was Theresa Neal. After a little while and some persuasion, Agatha must have been able to draw on some fragments of memory, and the pair returned to the family home. After this, Agatha placed an advert in the paper for information on relatives of Miss Theresa Neal, as she was sure she was a missing person, and that someone must be looking for her. No one came forward with any information. Agatha started seeking help for her mental health after her disappearance, and was under the care of Harley Street medical professionals for a while after the event. She moved to London with Rosalind, and Caro, who was deemed capable of looking after both of them, and she focused on getting better. Archie moved out of the family home, and Agatha, when she was better, sued him for divorce, as even though he'd threatened it, he didn't actually file the papers. Rather unsurprisingly, she won. Nancy Neal, when questioned about why Agatha may have been using her surname while staying at the hotel, professed her innocence and her father said there was absolutely nothing to tie Nancy to Agatha's disappearance. Two years later, Archie and Nancy were married. After the disappearance, Agatha got herself back on her feet. Her book sales boomed as a result of her unintentional publicity stunt, and she published four short stories to boost her income until her divorce was finalised. Having an eat-pray-love moment, Agatha decided to tick something off her bucket list and take a trip on the Orient Express. Whilst on that trip, she made some friends and was invited back the following year to Baghdad on holiday where she met a new man, Max Wallowan, who was 14 years her junior, and who she subsequently married around the same time Archie remarried. Take that, Archie, you scumbag. Her writing went from strength to strength, and after her trip on the Orient Express, she penned her most famous novel, Murder on the Orient Express, which is still a bestseller to this day. 
She also went on to be one of the founders of the Detective Club, a group of crime fiction writers who used to get together regularly and bounce ideas off each other. Other members of the Detective Club included her friend Dorothy L. Sayers, and someone which you may remember from a previous episode, Ronald Knox, who was the first person to ever do a hoax on radio. Over the subsequent years, Agatha penned a ridiculous amount of novels, racking up an impressive 75 books over the span of 56 years. Not content with just that amount, though, she also penned six further novels under a pseudonym of Mary Westmacott, which afforded her the anonymity to write whatever she wished. But when an American reviewer outed Mary as Agatha, she ceased her works as Mary. Agatha worked right up until her death at her home on January the 12th, 1976, and before she died she got to see her work transformed for the stage, including The Mousetrap, which is still the West End's longest-running play, except for a minor hiatus in 2020 for obvious reasons, but I think we can forgive it for that. She also got to see Murder on the Orient Express made into a film, which she enjoyed greatly, with only the minor criticism that Poirot's moustache was not nearly luxurious enough. Now, if I may ask you to all join me in the library, I've got some conclusions to make. There's a few theories that surround Agatha Christie's disappearance, and it's not difficult to think that this all may have been one giant publicity stunt to promote her books. However, Agatha was an extremely private and shy person, and so it doesn't make any sense that she would bring that kind of scrutiny into her life just so she could profit off the back of it. Others think that she was trying to publicly humiliate Archie after his affair, and I think perhaps putting the advert for the relations of Theresa Neal may have been a little pointed towards that, but again, I don't think Agatha was the kind of person to air her dirty laundry in public. The most plausible theory to me is that the disappearance should be taken at face value. The most telling sign to me that Agatha was not in a good way is that she did try to drive off a cliff. There were no skid marks on the road, however, so perhaps she did get out of the car before the end and push it to its final resting place. But if that was the case, why was the steering wheel dented? I believe she crashed the car, banged her head and then was in a state of confusion. One big mystery is how did she get from Newlands Corner to Yorkshire? Various sightings of Agatha were documented over the days after her disappearance, so maybe she was wandering for a while before she found civilization. She did travel from King's Cross Station to Harrogate to the hotel she was found at, but it still remains a mystery as to how she made the first leg of the journey. Perhaps she walked to a local train station and then found her way there. Agatha herself refused to talk about her disappearance for a long time, and only ever said once about her version of events. She recalled crashing the car and being in a terrible frame of mind that she was going to end it all. She then came to, wandering in King's Cross Station, and boarded the train to Harrogate, she stated that she was covered in mud and with blood on her head, which would tie in with her having collided with her steering wheel. However, there weren't many reports of a dishevelled-looking woman roaming in the station that day, so her own recollection may have been a little blurry, perhaps due to the concussion. All we do know is that Agatha was thankfully found alive and somewhat well, living her best life in Yorkshire, 
and to me, it sounds like she suffered some kind of breakdown combined with concussion, which produced transient global amnesia, a minor blip in which the sufferer has no idea who they are or how they got somewhere. Whatever did happen to Agatha over those 11 days in December 1926, it only helped her career. She went on to become, and still is, the best-selling author of all time, with over 2 billion books sold and counting, but her disappearance will still remain a macabre mini-mystery. Thank you so much for joining me for that episode. As always, I'd love to know your theories on this one. So do please leave your thoughts in the comments on YouTube or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast. I could have gone on for much longer about this one and there's a few things that I had to cut out for time. So if you're interested in learning more about this case, then please check out my sources for more info. Whilst you're here, if you wouldn't mind giving the video a thumbs up or the show a rating on your podcast provider, then I'll be eternally grateful as it's so helpful with the pesky algorithm and also it lets me know you enjoy what I make and that I'm not just shouting into the void of the internet on a regular basis. If you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed and you've made it to this point, then what are you doing? Hit subscribe. I'd love you to join the ghoul gang. We're a friendly bunch and we seem to be growing in numbers, so do come and join us. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I do and help me to make more of them, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing legendary executive Patreon producers, Amy, Barry, Bethan, Kate, Mary, Wren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month, you get to vote on what episodes I do next, and also depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies through the post too, and if you want your name read out at the end of the episode, that's the way to do it. I'll leave the link in the description for Patreon so you can check it out at your leisure if you'd like to, and also the one-off links for donations to the show and the Amazon wishlist too, if you don't want an ongoing commitment, but still want to help me make more episodes. Thanks for joining me for another macabre mini mystery. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. Look at these bad boys. I've got Pennywise on my nails. And a balloon. Mm-hmm.